There are two cities, and that's all. In this world, you can have citizenship in one of two store, uh, cities, only two. In this life, you will live, work, play, be entertained, be educated in only one of two cities. That's all. Here's my question to you today. Which is your city? Take out your books, your Bible, and we've been looking through, studying through, touring through the book of Revelation, this whole series, all summer long. And we've learned a lot. We've been seeing every week, revisiting this vision of Jesus Christ that he gave to John on the Isle of Patmos. And he gives John a vision of the end times, what will be coming, the day of the Lord, the great days, the, the, the culmination of the narrative, the story of the entire Bible and of all of human history. And so Jesus gives John this revelation. And it starts, as we remember, with Jesus giving a performance review to seven churches, chapters one, chapters two, chapter three. And he gives seven churches a performance review, how they're doing, get them ready. He gives them the test before they really have to get into the hard stuff. He gives them feedback. He gives them a grade. And then we moved on from there, chapters four and five in our timeline. In chapters four and five, we were in the throne room of heaven. And in chapters four and five, we saw about how Jesus as the Lamb of God was opening up the scroll and the mystery of what was coming at the end times. And for those chapters, we got to see and glorify God and to see everything that He is and what He's going to do for us. And then from chapter six on, we've been traveling through this dark, discouraging, terrible time called the Great Tribulation. And we've been looking at trumpets, and there have been bowls, and there have been all kinds of things going on. And we've walked through seven years of tribulation until chapter 16. And in chapter 16, we've gotten now all the way to the end, almost to where the culmination of human history is going to happen when Jesus comes back. So last week, Pastor Jonathan got us to chapter 16, and now today we're going to talk about chapter 17 and chapter 18. So we've been at the end of the tribulation, but it's time for a flashback. Flashback chapter 17, we're going to go back 42 months earlier. 42 months earlier, three and a half years earlier to the middle of the tribulation. And we're going to do this flashback in chapter 17. But then in chapter 18, we're going to fast forward and we're going to be back on the timeline and we'll see what God has for us. So let's take a look at Revelation 17 and let's read and see what happens. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. 
And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names and blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Chapter 17 now is a flashback to the middle of the tribulation. And so we're going to take a look here in chapter 17 and chapter 18, and we're going to learn about a place called Babylon. We've already read a little bit about Babylon in Revelation. But these two chapters, we're going to look at Babylon. And in this chapter, we're going to be looking more at religious Babylon. But then the next chapter, we're going to look at economic Babylon. So to answer the questions there, where, when is this? Chapter 17 is in the middle of the tribulation. Now, remember, we are reading this book here in Thomas Road as futurists. And what that means, and good Christians kind of disagree on some of these things, but we're reading it as futurists, which means that we believe that this book is full of symbols, yes, pictures, yes, hard things, yes, mysteries, yes, but for the most part, we understand this book, that God has given us a timeline, a narrative of what's going to happen. We're not going to get real specific on some things, but we do believe that uh, this is actual future history. And so this chapter is the middle of the tribulation. The harlot. Who is the harlot? Now, now I'll just admit, that's harsh language. We don't typically walk around today talking about harlots. That's a harsh term. We certainly care for women that have struggled in those areas. But, but to use this term, what is God trying to say? Well, the harlot here, we're, we're told it's not a mystery. It's religious Babylon. It is Babylon. And we're going to read in both chapters that Babylon is two things. Babylon is a city and it is a system. You really can't separate them. It's a city and it's a system. Number one, first of all, it's a city. Verse 18 tells us that it is a great city. 300 times in the Bible, you will read the word Babylon or Babylonian. And it's always, 300 times, it's always referring to guess what? The city of Babylon in Mesopotamia, or it's referring to the Babylonian Empire. There's one time, as Peter writes in 1 Peter, where he alludes to Rome, the city of Rome, being spiritual Babylon. And we'll see why today that that's a term for, for cities or areas that are wicked. And so that's the one time, but every other time in the Bible, it's pointing towards a real place. So let's remind ourselves, let's do a little history here, go back in time. Let's look at the history of the timeline of Babylon. And real quickly, we'll go real fast. It is a city, and it was built by a man named Nimrod. And he was a great hunter and a great leader early on, uh, early in history. And in the book of Genesis, we don't know when, thousands of years ago, but he builds several cities. And one of the cities that he builds up is Babylon. Then the 1800s BC, the Amorites are ruling this city. Now notice, this city is going to change hands several times because it's very strategic where it's located. In the 1700s, Hammurabi 
builds it into a major city. If you remember Hammurabi, he's the great lawgiver, and he has all the laws. Uh, some people compare him to Moses, and he builds the city into really a, a world-class city. Uh, some have said uh, the, the shape of the city or the landmass of the city almost as big as present-day Chicago. 1500s, the Hittites come in, and they take over, and they conquer. The Hittites and the Kassites rule. And then the 1200s, it gets us into biblical narrative. In the 1200s, the Assyrians and the Chaldeans move in, and they take over Babylon, and they build it up as well. And the Assyrians, they rule for hundreds of years, and even into the 700s, where the Assyrians go down into the northern kingdom of Israel, and they take the Jews away into captivity. Uh, a while later, in the 600s BC, the Neo-Babylonian Empire arises, and the most famous king of all, Nebuchadnezzar, he makes it his capital city, and he builds it up even greater. He makes it a world-class city, and it's during this time that he takes his armies down into Jerusalem, the southern kingdom of, uh, of the Jews, and he takes the Jews into captivity, destroys the place, and this is the story in the Bible of Jeremiah and Daniel, Ezekiel, and their friends. A few decades later, in the 500s BC, now the Persians come on the scene, and they conquer, and they're ruling over the city. And this is Cyrus and Darius and others. And this is when they begin. The Persians allow the Jews, some of the Jews, to return back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the walls and the temple. And this is the story of Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and some of those. Outside of biblical history, in the 300s BC, the Macedonians come across and they conquer the place. And there is a general, uh, a wonderkin, 32-year-old Alexander the Great, and he conquers the city and he sets up his capital in Babylon. And at 32 years of age, he has conquered the world. And what does he do? He dies. One night he dies in Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And so this is just a real quick timeline of what Babylon has been. So let's bring it up to this chapter. Is this actually the city of Babylon? And you heard Pastor Jonathan mention good Bible teachers differ on this, and this is a secondary issue. We're not going to put our salvation on it. But I lean in the camp that thinks that this is actually going to be the rebuilt city of Babylon. Some Bible teachers would say, well, it's, it's talking mystically about Rome, or others would say it's talking about Jerusalem. But I think it's talking about the actual city of Babylon. And what is Babylon today, by the way, if you went there? Well, Babylon still exists. It's about 40, 50 miles south of Baghdad. This is a picture of it today. And you'll notice there's some archaeological digs there. There's some, uh, some walls rebuilt. Matter of fact, in the 80s, there was this uh, uh, ruler, this leader of uh, a country named Iraq. His name was Saddam Hussein. I don't know if you've heard about him. Uh, some of you may, maybe were able to go over there and, you know, do a, a little greeting for him and all. Uh, some of you men or women here. But uh, Saddam Hussein in the 80s wanted to build, rebuild the city of Babylon. And so he started to build it up. He put a palace there. He rebuilt some walls. He started to rebuild the Ishtar Gate. He did a lot of things like that. And he was very arrogant. He uh, said that he was going to be as great. He was great as, uh, as great of a ruler as Nebuchadnezzar, okay? He started putting his likeness with Nebuchadnezzar's likeness. He stamped his name on the bricks and the walls just like Nebuchadnezzar did. And he was rebuilding the whole city. He poured millions of dollars into starting to rebuild. I don't know if you've read the news. 
It didn't turn out so great for Saddam Hussein, and so they have stopped the rebuilding of that city. But if you go there today, it's just kind of a barren wasteland, and there's animals running all over the place, and and you can go and tour the place, but that's what it is today. Now the question is then, if, if a place like this, could this be rebuilt in the tribulation in a few years to all of a sudden be a, a, a city that is leading the world and all the world is kind of coming to this city? Well, absolutely. Uh, we can build cities overnight pretty quick. Right now there's a movie out about World War II and the building of the atomic bomb. And we know that the atomic bomb was built in different parts of the United States. And one of those places was in a little town called Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, 1942, there were a few hundred people there. It wasn't much there. But in 1942, the United States government bought up hundreds of acres. And they came in and overnight they were trying to have a place where some of the fuel and some of the parts for uh, the bomb could be produced secretly. They built a city in two years for 75,000 people. And you can look in your notes, I put several facts there. They built an entire city, schools and theaters and roads and trains, and they had 17 churches. I mean, all kinds of things. In two years, they had this place rebuilt. So it is possible. Today, there are more cities being built than ever before around the world. A Forbes magazine article recently said that there are presently hundreds of cities being built rapidly all around the world in places like China, the Middle East, Asia. Think of cities like Dubai, Africa. And here was their statement. Never have we built so many cities on such massive scales in so many places in so little time. Can Babylon be rebuilt in a few years? Absolutely, it can be rebuilt. But it's not only a city, it's a world system. It's a world system, and in this chapter, it's talking about religion. From Babylon, if you just travel a few miles in any direction, we don't know exactly where it was, but isn't it interesting that the world religions, the system of religion, originated there in Mesopotamia? Years before this, there was a garden in that area. And one day, a snake tempted a woman and her husband to eat some fruit. And what did he say? You can be like God, the first religion. And it started right there. Years later, after the flood, the peoples of the earth were still arrogant. And they got together and they said, we're so talented. We're so sophisticated. We have evolved so far that we're going to get together and build out this city more. And we're going to build a tower and a tower that just isn't nice to look at, but the tower reaches to heaven, but it's not just reaches to heaven, it's a tower that actually, whose top actually is heaven. And so the Tower of Babel was constructed, and people began, were were worshiping, and of course God came down and he settled that as well. So this region of the world has always had a stream coming out of it of world religion, of people thinking that they could be whatever they want to be. God uses the label here, harlot. That's a strong term, but it's a term that God uses all through the the Old Testament about his people. And here's what he says. God says, I am married to my people. We are in a marriage. And if you go after other gods or other religions or other idols, I call that spiritual adultery. 
He uses harsh language. And so he calls his people spiritual uh, uh, adulterers. And he calls them harlots. And they are prostituting themselves. And that's why he uses this term for Babylon. It's harsh, but it's true. Because Babylon, the world system of religion, has always tried to grab God's people. What's the doctrine of the Church of Babylon? If you wanted to scan the QR code today and join the Church of Babylon, what would you have to believe? Well, there's, it's really simple. All religions kind of come down to this a little bit, and one day it's all going to be there coming out of Babylon. By the way, at the end of the ages, there's no atheist. There's no atheist. Everybody knows that there's something higher. But the Church of Babylon says this, hey, there is a God or a higher power or a force, call him or her or it, whatever you want to. And it's very loving and very permissive. And God allows you to do anything you want. You can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. There are no rules, really. Uh, There's no authoritative scripture or book that tells you where the boundaries are. There's no sin. And here's what's really cool. There's no penalty. There's no judgment. Just live how you want, and and he'll help you, or she, or it will help you work it all out. And here's the coolest thing of all. If you act today and join the Church of Babylon, not only do you get to know the God, the force, the spiritual thing up there, but actually you are on his level. You are like God. You're a God, and you're a God, and you're a God. We're all gods today. We have God inside of us. Now, don't you hear that all throughout our culture today, those kind of tenets? Well, church, family, that may sound good to some who like the Church of Babylon, but let me tell you, those teachings, those teachings are from the pit of hell, and that is the doctrine of demons, and we need to run away from it. If you, want, if you need to be reminded what is the true church, what is the true belief, here's what it is. These are the things that have been believed by the church all the way back for 2,000 years. And notice these things. Number one, God is Trinity, creator of all, Father, Son, Spirit. Number two, Jesus is fully God and man. Number three, the Bible is the true and trustworthy Word of God. Number four, humans are fallen and judged. Number five, Jesus died to atone for our sin and resurrected bodily. Number six, salvation is by grace alone through faith in Jesus. Number seven, Jesus will physically return to rule on the earth. And the church said? Church, this is our belief. This is truth. This goes back all the way. This was being believed uh, in the early church. It wasn't settled, you know, hundreds of years later by some council with a bunch of white European men in some room. That's not true. Study your history. And this is what God's truth is, and we need to hold on to it. Well, let's answer some more questions. Who is the beast in this vision? Well, we don't have to go very far, do we? We already know who the beast is. We found it out through Revelation. The beast is the Antichrist, the Antichrist, right? So the dragon is the devil, but the beast is the Antichrist, and he's called the Scarlet Beast here. It almost sounds like a Marvel movie, doesn't it? He's the Antichrist, and the Antichrist is a demon-possessed man who is under control of the devil for his final purposes. And it uses interesting language in this chapter. It says, the beast who was and was not and is. Almost sounds like Jesus language. 
but in a different way. He was and was not and is again. Because you remember in Revelation chapter 13, we saw the idea that the beast, the Antichrist evidently, is assassinated or he dies and he raises himself. Medically, he comes back alive and now he's even madder than ever. And so this is the Antichrist. And we don't know the, the, the system of events here, okay? It could be that the Antichrist rebuilds Babylon. It could be that another king or another ruler or some nations rebuild Babylon. But no doubt, Antichrist is in cahoots with Babylon. He maybe makes the city one of his capitals or it is his capital. And early on in the first few years of the tribulation, this world religion, this world power comes up and everybody's worshiping through this one church. Well, the Antichrist saddles up to that and they work together for a while. But notice here in chapter 17 what's happening. It says that the harlot, this world church, she's riding on the beast. She's trying to control the beast. She's trying to control things. And we've seen churches throughout history try to control governments. And that's all through different history. And she'll try to control him and he will have none of it. And so it causes him here in the middle of the tribulation to destroy the Babylonian church. Now he doesn't destroy the city in the halfway point here, but he shuts down the church and maybe he kills her priests or her, her counselors or consultants or whatever, but he destroys the church of Babylon. And now what is the religion? Now he reveals himself even more. He turns all the cameras, all the feeds, all the stream on him. And he now says, you don't worship just anything. Now you worship me. I am God. And so that's what happens at that point. There's some other characters here. Let's read about them real quick in verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads, it tells us, are seven mountains on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. Look at verse 12. There are some horns here. Ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they received authority for one hour as kings with the beast. They are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome, for he is, say it with me, Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him, with him, we're with him, are called, chosen, and faithful. And then notice at the end of this section, verse 17, this is interesting. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city, there it is, which reigns over the kings of the earth. Who are the seven heads with the beast there? Well, the seven heads, he tells us, they're mountains and kings. Well, that helps. We still don't know who the mountains and kings are. And a lot of Bible teachers, as they study this and they look at the imagery throughout Scripture, they would say that these seven mountains are seven empires that have come throughout human history since the Babylonians. And we just saw some of them up there. The Assyrians and Chaldeans and the Babylonians and the Macedonians, the Greeks, the Romans. There have been empires or these mountains. There have been these leaders, these, these uh, heads of state that have come 
And we see here a little bit later in the passage, it says there are seven that have come and the eighth one that's coming will be the Antichrist. And so the final kingdom on earth, the final empire will actually be the Antichrist. The 10 horns, we've already gotten to know them a little bit. We don't know their names, but we know who they are. We were introduced to them in Daniel chapter two and his visions and also in chapter 13 of Revelation. The 10 horns are leaders in the Antichrist's coalition. Uh, Some would say this is the reassembled Roman Empire. Uh, They don't have their own kingdoms because they take all of their power and they give it to one central government. Does that sound like anything we're talking about in the news around the world today? Yeah, I've got my country or my region, but I'll give all my power to you, organization or leader. And so we're already being trained to do that. And it's fascinating though, why do they all do this? And they all get together and they turn on the Babylonian church and they destroy this world religion. Why do they do that? Why do they hate her so much? Well, she got too big for her britches, but we, we see why They really do it. And this is a little glimpse. We pull the curtain back and God says, let me just remind you again in the story, I am sovereign God. It's my sandbox. I do what I want for good and for my glory. And then it says that God has put into their hearts to fulfill his purpose. And the Bible is filled with stories like Pharaoh and and Egypt and the Exodus Men and women whose hearts are wicked and they're evil and they're wicked and they're wicked and they're wicked and they're hardening their hearts. And finally God says, all right, you're hardening your hearts. You're going down this road. I will harden your heart further and I will actually put thoughts in your mind and I will turn your wickedness towards each other. And God uses evil kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers and congresses and judges. God uses evil thoughts in the hearts of men and women and he turns them towards each other. And in this case, they destroy another evil part. Why? Because God is going to accomplish his purpose. And for that, church, we ought to say, thank you, God, that you are sovereign and you are king of kings. Well, that's chapter 17. Sorry, the church of Babylon has shut down. You can't be a member of that anymore throughout the last half of the tribulation. Now we're going to fast forward to the end and we're going to catch back up. Look at chapter 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and it's become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury, the abundance of her luxury. Let's pause there. Chapter 18, let's answer some questions. When is this happening? When is chapter 18 happening? Well, remember I told you we had come along from chapter 6, we got to chapter 16. We're at the end of the seven years. We paused. We did a flashback to the middle of the seven years for chapter 17. Now the movie is fast forwarded and we're back up to the present point in the story. Chapter 18 picks up with what has been talked about in chapter 16. So it's the end. Who's being talked about in this chapter? Same as chapter 17, it's Babylon. But this time he's not talking about religious Babylon because she's gone, that church got shut down. Now he's talking about economic Babylon. 
Economic Babylon is the same thing. Economic Babylon is a city and it's a system. A city and a system. And again, here's the case that it's not just some metaphor for evil forces somewhere. In this chapter, five times, John tells us it's a city, it's a city, it's a city, it's a city, it's a city. Verses 10, 16, 18, 19, and 21. And in fact, let's just remind ourselves, put the map up there if you would. This is, remember, the Middle East. And this is the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers there. What's in red, that is the Euphrates River. We've seen this map before. And you notice where Babylon is there. And it's real central located. Just think about that, how centrally located it was. Remember, as we've learned, the Euphrates River, it kind of runs from Persian Gulf up towards the Black Sea. It could have connected uh, uh, the trade from the Mediterranean uh, all the way over. As we know, the this river, this mighty river, uh, was the kind of the dividing line. It was the border between eastern empires and western empires. And we know from the predictions, we know from chapter 16, that it is going to completely, that river is going to completely dry up one of these days. We know from science, from today, you can Google it, Euphrates is dropping. The water level is dropping. It has been drying up. They've built a lot of dams further upstream in Turkey and Syria. But uh, even beyond that, the water sources are just drying up. Of course, it's all global warming and all that thing. But God is using whatever he wants because he's going to fulfill a prophecy that Euphrates will dry up. But that is where Babylon, and look how central, think about it, in the, uh, the old days, in the old empires, how central that would be. And once again, it will become central. And it's this idea that Babylon, when you say Babylon, uh, singers sing about it, it's the names of movies. Babylon always is not only a city, but it is a system. It refers to a, a part of our culture. Matter of fact, if I, if I said it this way, if I said these terms, and you've thought about this before, but let me put these cities up here, or names of cities or parts of city, cities. If I say Capitol Hill, what do you think about? Well, you may think about a lot of different things. Uh, if I say the Big Apple, If I say Madison Avenue, if I say Wall Street, what part of our culture do you think about? If I say Nashville, or Hollywood, or Silicon Valley, these are all different places in our country that uh, are actual places, and you can go there, but they, they refer to something, don't they? They are cultures, uh, cultural icons of segments of our society, and that's what Babylon is. Picture all of these now, all of these in one city, all of these in one system, and that's what you have with Babylon. It's a city and it's a system, and the Bible says here, God says, I'm angry with her because of her immoral luxury. Would it be possible for a city like Babylon to control the world's economy, the world's wealth? Do I need to answer that for you? Have you read the Google? Have you been on the World Wide Webs this week? I mean, the entire world system can run through one city real easy. 
I was talking to my friend John, who's way smarter than me, and he was trying to explain it to me the last few days, and it makes a lot of sense. Here's all the city of Babylon needs. The Antichrist is ruling from there. Uh, All they need is a central bank digital currency, CBDC, which is very popular in like 150 nations right now. Uh, We're all going to digital currency that a government controls. What could go wrong, right? All they need is a server farm and a data center, throw some of those out there in the desert, set up an online trading platform, set up your stock exchanges. You just get on your app, and which I did this week, which I'm not going to finish my account, but the World Coin app, the World Coin system, they have a digital uh, currency, and they just launched a World ID. Isn't that great? And guess how you log into the World ID? Your iris. It takes a picture of your eyeball, and that's going to be your world ID to trade blockchains and buy things. Isn't that easy? Isn't that scary? Hey, this is not some old-timey 1970s, you know, left-behind, thief in the night. My dad wrote his first book in the 70s, The King is Coming, right? We were all in the 70s. We thought it was over, right? We got a little reprieve. Folks, the technology is here now. There's nothing waiting. It could go through one city overnight. Nothing is stopping for everything to come through there. And if you think back about that map we put up there, where is Babylon located? It's sitting there in Mesopotamia in the middle of the Middle East. And guess what it is physically setting on top of? Oil. 50% of the world's oil supply is right there under those sands. 38% of the world's natural gas. Now, in the tribulation, we can build all the wind turbines, and we can put out all the solar panels we want. God bless us. But I think they're going to need oil for some of those tanks, right? And so Babylon is centrally located to control the world. You know, what's sad is he says that the, land, the, the world's, uh, their, their wealth has become very luxurious and very sinful. Uh, let me just pause real quick. Does God not like wealth? Is God angry at rich people? Does God hate rich people? No, he doesn't. Matter of fact, if you read the Bible, some of God's best friends are rich. Abraham, David, Solomon, other people, Esther. A lot of his friends are rich. Here's how you know whether your wealth, though, because at this point in time, it has become godless and wealth and possessions and uh, consuming consumers have just become wicked. It is wicked wealth. Now, how do you know if your wealth is Babylonian-type wealth? Number one, let me ask you. With your wealth and your purchases and your possessions, do you glorify God? Do you glorify God? Number two, are you wasteful with your wealth? Are you wasteful with your possessions, with your purchases? Number three, are you self-centered with your purchases? Are you self-centered with your possessions? And do you take your wealth and spend it on your flesh, your desires, your appetites? Which leads to number four, Do you ignore other people in need? And do you hoard your wealth and possessions? Does your family suffer because of the way that you're spending your money? Do your friends and your neighbors and the people of Lynchburg who are in need, do they suffer because you hoard your wealth? If you add those things together, you may want to talk to God about whether or not your heart's money 
is in the Babylonian bank? And if so, you need to move it. Let's keep reading what he says here. He says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. It's a powerful passage here. There's a voice from heaven in the middle of all this. We're at the end of time and God calls his people out. God says, hey, my people, my kids, anybody in Babylon, get out. This is God's behavior as a good father all through the Old Testament, isn't it? Time and time again, God calls his people out before he's getting ready to unleash judgment or his wrath. Now, who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to Christians, to the church. No, we're gone. We were gone a few years ago. We're in heaven with him. He moves his kids out of the way of wrath and judgment. But who's he talking to here? Well, we know that there are faithful tribulation saints. There are going to be people who accept Jesus as Savior, and during the tribulation, they may actually be working, they may be building Babylon, like they may actually be working in Babylon, or they may have been tempted by the Babylonian system. And God looks at them and he says, hey, my kids, get out. Get out of that yard. Come on home. Isn't this a picture, do you think of a picture in the Old Testament of somebody he did that with? the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God's wrath was coming against the evil in the city. And he said, hey, Lot, get you and your family out. And sadly, not all of his family made it out. But God always cares about his kids. And then if we keep reading, we can see, we see that the merchants and the kings and the captains, the trader, the stockbrokers, everybody, the salespeople, verses 11 through 14, they're grieving They're grieving because Babylon is being destroyed now, and they're grieving. Look about what it says. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise, and look at all the commodities you can buy through Babylon. Gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, citron wood, uh, because you want some citron wood, right? Uh, Every object of ivory, objects of precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots. Anything you want, anything you want is coming through Babylon. You can click and order anything. And in this sentence is the tragedy of Babylonian luxurious wicked wealth, isn't it? Because at the end of that list, what do you see? At the end of those things, at the bottom of the shopping cart, at the bottom of the shopping list, what does it say? And the bodies and souls of, of men. Sadly, since the beginning of time, humans have had wickedness in their heart and they have bought and sold other humans. And we need to fight against it even to this day, whether it's the trafficking of children or slavery in any form around the world. But sadly, at the end times, at the very end, slavery is still flourishing. This is one of the reasons that a holy and a good God has to say, enough, enough, I have to judge this place. I have to reset. And Babylon doesn't care for you, by the way. Babylon puts you at the bottom of the shopping cart and it'll eat up your soul and spit you out because you are just a commodity to the devil. Well, there's some good news. We need some good news, right, church? 
We need some good news. Verse 20 and 21, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it in the sea, saying, thus with violence, the great city of Babylon shall be thrown down and shall shall be found no more. This angel comes in and he takes up the millstone and he throws it down. And the city is now in the process of being destroyed. And this is why, how can we rejoice when people die? How can we rejoice when God is blasting everything? It's because of the wickedness. It's because of children being sold into sex trafficking. That is wicked. God needs to destroy that practice. He needs to destroy the abuse and the incest and pornography and horrible things and wicked luxury. He needs to destroy these things, folks. He's a good God. He is a good father. And finally, in this chapter, he says, Babylon is destroyed. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. It was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 14, 21, and 47. It was prophesied in Jeremiah 50 and 51. And matter of fact, you need to this afternoon go home, take out two Bibles, open one Bible to Jeremiah 50 and 51. Open the other Bible to Revelation 17 and 18. And read all four chapters and compare the language. It's almost like John is copying uh, Jeremiah 50 and 51. Even down to the millstone being thrown into the river. God prophesied it. God announced it. He announced it in Revelation 14. We've already seen. We saw last week, chapter 16, the bowl judgments. We saw that the city was hit by a massive earthquake. It's split into thirds. And then God just says, enough. I'm destroying Babylon finally, once and for all. There are two cities in this life where you can work and play and live and educate your kids and have your values and learn and worship and spend your money, there are two cities, only two. Babylon, and we sang about the other one earlier, the city of joy, the city of God, the new Jerusalem that we're going to hear about in just a couple chapters. Keep coming on Sundays, I know it's been hard, but there's only two cities. There's only two cities in this life where you can have your citizenship, only two. There's no dual citizenship in this life. You can either live your life in Babylon or the city of God. You can be a citizen of Babylon, wickedness, self-centeredness, the devil's ways, or you can be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's the interesting part. You're a citizen in one of those two, but you can visit the other one. If you are in the city of God, for all my brothers and sisters, Christians, your citizenship is in heaven. Here's God's warning to you from this chapter today. Children, kids, hey, come out of Babylon. Are you weekending in Babylon? Do you have an Airbnb over there? Do you go over there to shop? Do you go over there to learn things? Do you go over there to educate your family? Do you go over there to be entertained? Do you go over there to date? Do you go over to Babylon to have your relationships and friendships? And then, then you know, you come over back, back home. 
Lot, get out of Babylon. I think God's calling all of us. I prayed about this this week. I had to look at my own life. How is my life being affected by Babylon? Brothers and sisters, we need to get out of Babylon. Amen? Now here's what's interesting as well. Because if you are a citizen of heaven, you're going to make it. God's going to take you home one day. But you will suffer loss like Lot did. He lost his family because of always being excited about being in Babylon. Now, my other message from this chapter is to my friends and neighbors. Friends and neighbors, you may be a citizen of Babylon. And you can even come over to the kingdom of heaven. You can come and visit. You can come to camps and VCSs. You can come to programs and services. You can enjoy a lot of good things and some good music. You can do some things of God and you'll enjoy it. And it'll enrich your life a little bit. But it doesn't change the fact that at night you go home and you sleep in the city of your citizenship, Babylon. And friends and neighbors, God loves you and he wants to warn you. You can enjoy the city of God as a tourist, but you'll never know it as a citizen if you're still over here. And one day, one day, make no mistake, we're reading it in this book. One day, I hate to say this, it grieves me, friends and neighbors, but if you're a citizen of Babylon, one day, you will be destroyed along with the city. You will be destroyed along with the city. And here's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. To the citizens of heaven, God says, hey kids, get out. To the citizens of Babylon, you know what he's saying? One word. Immigrate. Immigrate. Move your citizenship to my city. Colossians says, let God transfer you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you'll experience what our faith father, Abraham, said in Hebrews. It says, for Abraham was looking for a what? A city with firm foundations who, whose architect and builder is God. But church, we have come to Mount Zion. We have the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, myriads of angels into the assembly. We're in the city of joy. And on this earth, Hebrews 13 says, we don't have a city that lasts, but we are looking for a city that will never go away. Amen? And so the choice is yours. Let's stand together and bow our heads and open, uh, just uh, close our eyes. As we stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed, you have two cities. Our counselors and our, our prayer, uh, prayer counselors are coming across. Our pastors are going to be down here across the front. And as we head out today, I'm going to pray and we're going to leave. But if you are in the city of Babylon, if that's your citizenship, today, today, you need to come and talk to somebody about salvation today. And if you are in the city of God, if you're a Christian, but you are living like Babylon, you're living like the devil, you need to confess that and you need to come and pray today. So as our counselors come on across, our, our pastors and prayer counselors will be down here as we go today. But let, let me close us in prayer. 
Father, thank you so much today for your word, these two chapters from your book that you gave to John and you've given it to us. God, thank you so much that you loved us and you gave us a way out of Babylon. We were wicked. We, like Eve and Adam, we had turned our own way. We had said, we will be like God and we won't have this God for us. And God, because of that, we deserve judgment, like Babylon will deserve judgment. But Jesus, thank you so much that you died on a cross for us. You were buried and you resurrected on the third day, and you're in heaven today, extending an invitation to anyone listening or anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior. And so, God, I pray for us that anyone who is in Babylon today, that they will come out and they will turn to you, that they will repent and by faith believe in you. And Lord, for the rest of us, we're your kids, we live in your city. God, help us not to look back to Babylon. Help us not to have our values there. God, help us to clean up our marriages, our parenting styles, the way that we run our businesses, the way we run our churches. God, we want to be in this city of joy. We want to live our lives there, and we want to shine the light to all in need. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. Help them to do what you want them to do. And I pray for my friends and neighbors. You love them. God, draw them to yourself. We look forward one day, Lord, to being with you forever and ever and ever. Holy, holy, holy. In your city, a city of joy, a city of love and peace. And God, we look forward to that day. So until then, we'll keep walking with you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And all God's church said, amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week. If you need to talk to one of our counselors, come on down. We'll see you next week. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love. Thank you.